millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next interview is with Dr. Michelle Stevens. We talk about her new book called Scared Selfless. You are going to want to listen to this interview for a whole lot of reasons. And probably more importantly, you're going to want to read her book. Uh, and the subtitle is My Journey from Abuse and Madness to Surviving and Thriving. There is hope, ultimately, is the final uh, answer uh, with respect to Dr. Stevens' story. And it is a difficult story. It's, it's mind-boggling. It's traumatic. It's, it's, it's unsettling on absolutely every level, and yet it's quite beautiful as well. We talk about shame and trauma in the interview. We talk about empathy, and we talk about the misunderstandings of, of what uh, dissociative uh, identity disorder is really all about. We talk about memories and brainwashing, and we talk about abuse and about how how therapy actually makes a difference and about how trust and about how providing a, an intimate space for people to tell their stories is so fundamentally important to to healing and to dealing with things like uh, uh, trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder and, and, and so on. So uh, I, I think you're going to fall in love with Dr. Stevens and you're going to want to run out and get her book, uh, Scared Selfless. Uh, and don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about the, the work I'm doing, my writing and, and podcasting. We're coming up on 300 interviews. If if you're getting behind what I do, uh, please feel free to, to uh, support the work that I'm doing through patreon.com. You'll find a link on the site and also rabble.ca for more interviews as well. Check uh, me out there. So uh, stay tuned for Dr. Michelle Stevens uh, talking about her new book, Scared Selfless. Well, welcome to Face to Face. Uh, we are joined, indeed joined today by a very special guest. Dr. Michelle Stevens is with us here today to talk about her new book, Scared Selfless, subtitled My Journey from Abuse and Madness to Surviving and Thriving. Dr. Stevens, thanks for taking the time today to to spend a few minutes with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really pleased to be here. You, you've you written a 
a, a mind-boggling, tragic, and and beautiful memoir. I it's 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 a it's a call to everything that's wrong about the world. It seems to me, and, and all that's possible and worth hoping for. And and you've just done it in such a beautiful way. So first off, congratulations and thank you. Thank you. I'm going to read a quote. Author's note, quote, I feel it is the right of every victim of violence to tell their truth. For those of us who are able, I feel it is a responsibility. Child abuse, domestic violence, sexual assault, hate crimes, war crimes, genocide, and all other forms of interpersonal violence flourish in a culture of silence and shame, close quote. I can't think of a much better way, Dr. Stevens, to start a, a story like yours than to basically say we're kind of all in this together. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. All trauma, any trauma, leads to the same result in, in the psyche. And is it is it something that is, <laughs> you know, it took I think I think you talk about thirty plus years to to come to terms with this. Is this is this something that that you only found? Would you say within the context of other relationships, in the context of community? You know, I've I've I've, I've seen you interviewed in a few different places. You talk about sense of timing, and you know, uh, I I was ready, uh, you know, for for this kind of therapy or that kind of therapy. But there is uh, there there's a couple points in your life that are really profound for you from a relational perspective. And I just I'm kind of I'm kind of interested because you've got that professional approach which is what's so interesting, I think, about what you do. And maybe we should start there with you just telling us a little bit about the book and about your, you know, now your professional opinion and how you can actually shine a light into this in a, in a way that many, many can't. Sure, sure. Um, so the first thing to know is that I am a psychologist. I have a Ph.D. in psychology, and I've spent about a decade practicing uh, as a psychologist working with clients. I'm also a wife and mom, so I always start with the end because um, it's good to know that I have a happy ending. Right. Um, <laughs> my beginning, um, as you alluded to, was not very happy. Um, my story is that I was born to an unwed mother, an unwed teenage mother, who was very poor and uneducated and not really able to support us. And when I was eight years old, a man came along, and this is important because this happens to so many single mothers, right? They're just hoping for this. Mm -hmm. A man came along who seemed to be the answer to everything. He was a school teacher, so he had a good job. He had a side business. He owned a house. And he basically said to my mother, I'll be with you, and I will be a father to your child, which was music to her ears. Sure. Unfortunately... He was actually a pedophile, and this is not uncommon that pedophiles um, seek out single mothers. He was a pedophile, and what he was really interested in was getting control of me. And he did. He moved us in. He got control of me. He happened to be a very skilled and very sadistic pedophile, and he basically had a plan of turning me into his sex slave. So he used torture and brainwashing techniques to do that. And once he had gotten good control over me, he started trafficking me within a child sex ring. And he, for about six years, prostituted me to other men and also sold me into child pornography. When, when you start to read the book, and I've read a few reviews, there's this sense of, of just disbelief 
you know, you, you talk about the notion of unspeakable acts or un using un unspeakable language, you know, how, how can we actually talk about this? How can we, and, and what you've done is you've done the very thing that, you know, you're kind of accusing most of us of not doing, you know, not being able to speak about these things, but you read this and you think, I, I just, I don't want to believe this. Yeah. I don't want to believe this kind of behavior is possible, that these kinds of things are actually going on in the world. And, and it's a real, it's a, it's a challenge to get through your book, but am I ever glad you started by saying, you know, there, there is hope. Yes, and it's a challenge to get through the first part of the book. I want to make that very clear. Yes. Um, well, and it's, and, it, and I think one of the, and, and, and Dr. Stevens, one of the reviews I read it was, it was kind of, it's important to get through the first part of the book. Mm -hmm. You absolutely yeah. have to do the hard work. To, to, to get for the reveal almost, if you will. Yes, and I also, I really wanted people, you know, people have such a misunderstanding mm. of trauma and what it does to people. And this is how you'll get situations where, for instance, there was a boy uh, who was 11 years old and he was kidnapped in, I believe, Missouri. And his name was Sean Hornbeck. And four years later, he was found when, and it turned out that he had been kidnapped by a pedophile and was then found four years later living with this pedophile. And it seemed as if he was free. Right. He was riding his bike around. He, he had a, a, a computer with the Internet. And Bill O'Reilly of Fox News got on the air and said, well, it seems like that kid must have liked the guy who kidnapped him better than he liked his parents. Wow. Talk about And it's a stunning it's a it, that's victim blaming. The kid was brutally brutally raped over and over again and tortured and tied up and all sorts of things. And what that does to the psyche, the fear and the terror created creates almost like an invisible chain. And I wanted people to understand what violence and terror does. And I think you better understand it if you sort of viscerally experience it reading the book. Well, you actually you actually say not too far into the book that we have to, as readers, have to experience. And, yeah. you put, and, and I seem to remember this. You put experience in italics, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. We have to experience violence at least on the page. Because people don't, you know, every, you see the story over and over again of a domestic abuse victim, and people will always say, well, why didn't she just leave him? Right, well, right. Because she's terrified, she's, and rightly so. Um, we don't seem to remember the part where people get terrorized, because we don't see that part. You know, uh, criminals and predators don't do the terrifying things out in public. So we just sort of conveniently don't want to think about that part. So, you know, and, and, and in general, it is human nature completely to try to avoid the concept of atrocity. Mm. If there had not been a very active campaign to um, remember individual stories of Holocaust survivors, we would all be trying to forget that that ever happened. Right. That's why they went on a, a major campaign to try to get all those stories down. 
because it is human nature to deny atrocity. Well, and, and, aren't, we and, and aren't we back a little bit to your, your beginning of the book where you talk about this idea of, of shame and of silence and, and let's, let's not really talk about it and, and, and I guess in a way kind of hope it goes away? Exactly, or, or hope it doesn't exist. There's sort of a, a societal denial of atrocity, and it's not it's very, very pronounced when it comes to sexual matters because there's right. no taboo. Right. But all atrocity, right. all atrocity, uh, we have a tendency to want to pretend it's not there. Well, which is so beautiful about about the way you start the book and, and how relevant it made it for me, as well as an international development guy uh, working in Cambodia. I mean, talk about the uh, land of atrocity, or at least many, many years ago. And what are the impacts? What what are the implications of that trauma and transgenerational trauma and and memory and all these things? And you bring it out so so well uh, in 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 your book. How how do I empathize with you? How do I stand in your shoes? You talk about that in the book. You know, and or how can I guess how can how I empathize? I mean, that's and that's I think so much of what I'm trying to do with this book is get um, is get a general bystander. We all have tragedies in our lives. Sure. Trying to help people remember that what they see on the surface is is not the whole picture. And the way that you empathize is, is by trying to get beneath the facade that someone is showing. Mm. For instance, mm. um, you know, I talk a lot in the book about about teenagers, about troubled teens. Um, I'm a, a, a foster parent sometimes, and I was also a high school teacher. There are some teenagers, particularly foster kids, who have really difficult behavioral problems. They can be very, very angry. They might steal. They might be belligerent. If we take all of those behaviors at surface, we just deem them a sociopath or horrible. We write them off. We write, we write them off, yeah. We write them off. And, but if we take a moment and we go, What's causing this behavior? You know, this is me being a psychologist, I guess. Right. That's what we do. Right. What is causing this behavior? And often, what is causing the behavior is some trauma and a lot of pain. You know, there is the saying that you cannot hate someone once you know their story. Mm, nice. And that is the point I'm trying to get across. We really need to be a lot more careful about knowing people's stories before we go judging them. Well, and you t- and speaking of judging, you talk about and 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 I don't know if you want to go down this path or not, but you talk about a, a one of one of your doctors, one of your therapists, one of the professionals involved with you who basically kind of implies or maybe actually says you're kind of a hopeless case. We're we're um, we're not going to be able to help. Absolutely. Speak, true. Speaking um, speaking of judgment. More than one said that to me. More than and one. And I have had many many people since the book came out write to me and say that that was their experience too. Um, Very traumatized people have a lot of symptoms as a result of being traumatized. And those symptoms sometimes make the people not so pleasant to be around. Right, right. That's just the truth of it. Um, If you see soldiers, some soldiers that come back from war, we now we now know the result of that. That used to be something that we denied as well, uh, that you could just go off to war and see horrible things, and then you're just supposed to come home and never think about it Right, again. right. We now understand as a society that that's not how it works. Soldiers that come back from war 
you know, are changed. They tend to be um, very angry, moody, um, touchy about things. So it's the same with a kid who's been abused. They grow up to be like that. Um, so we we have to understand that. And but you know, psychologists or or therapists are people just like everybody else. Right. And some of them are able to see past all that and have the patience for people with those symptoms, and some aren't. You um you mentioned that I'm just trying to look for it here uh, near near the end of the book, and it's and 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 you talk you talk about a lot of things uh, with respect to relationships and love and feeling safe and all of that, and I really do want to unpack that with you a little bit because I think there's so so many insights here for so many of us. Um, you 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 sort of refer to the mental health system that doesn't provide um hmm, meaningful, appropriate, safe space for people to really I guess be loved to be accepted, you know, sort of going down the same, same line of thinking with respect to this, these doctors who are making these, you know, uh, outrageous claims. Um, um, is, is that still the case? Is that still what you're seeing? Oh, sure. You know, and this is, um, this is a tough one. You know, the reason I talk so much about the mental health system and, and I'm talking about the mental health system in the U S I'm not quite sure how it is in Canada. Right. Right. Um, but I do know this. People are people. And in every profession, there are great people and there are not so great of people. Course. And there yeah. are mostly mediocre people. <laughs> and um, therapists are no different. So, you know, what happened to me was I had some mediocre therapists and I had some very bad therapists who did more harm than good. And it took me... I think it was my eighth therapist before I found one that was truly, truly wow. great and could help me. And I make this point in the book because so many people who have come into me for therapy or, and now who are emailing me, the, the, the classic thing that I will hear from people, they'll be miserable, they've had horrible lives, they wish they could get better, but they'll say, oh, I tried therapy. I went a couple of times and it didn't work. It didn't work. A guy just wrote to me, um, he's having a really tough time. And he said, well, I went to therapy, and I told the therapist what happened to me as a kid, and she cried, and so I never went back to therapy. Wow. And to that I say, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Go to a different therapist Go, if right, you don't like that Right, therapist. right, right, right. <laughs> um, like any good relationship, it takes a bit of time. And it, you know, I always say it's, you have to kiss a lot of uh, therapist frogs before you find your <laughs> prince. Um, it, it's we, we're not all the same. It's not a cookie cutter thing. And and the therapist that might be good for someone else might not be good for me. That's the other right, thing. right. The therapist sure. that I have now, who I've had for twenty years and I love dearly, and I you know I talk all about her in the book. We're really different as therapists. Is that Leah? Yeah, this is Leah. Leah. The people who come to me and like my style probably wouldn't like Leah's style. Mm. We're very, very different as therapists. Mm. It's our mm. personalities. So I think we're both passionate. We're both educated. But it takes time. I, I, you know, I want people to not use that as an excuse. Right, right. You t you talk about you know I I was going to bring up Leah a little later in the interview but we're we're, we're here now so let's go uh, but you talk about you know and what really struck me about Leah was she treated you like a human being 
she treated you like almost like well almost like a friend i don't know if that's fair uh, or not but to say that but you 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 speak very definitively about the fact that she didn't judge you uh she 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 thought she spoke to you like you were normal she uh, sensible even and 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 i think you say that she treated you with a great deal of respect so you never felt she did. and and this is a woman who the first time i met leah i was in a mental hospital after my third suicide attempt shaking uncontrollably in the corner of a room Right. Couldn't commit it at the time. Right. Yes. <laughs> I couldn't see more hopeless. And yet she never treated me that way. Well, yeah. She never had. She she doesn't use diagnoses. She and, and if you don't try to diagnose someone, which is basically labeling them. Right. Then you don't have a prognosis either. <laughs> um, so she was great about, you know, so many, um, we've medicalized the therapy profession, the mm, psychotherapy mm, profession, mm. And, and made it a very doctor-patient thing. Right, yeah. And, and that is not her approach. Her approach is that we're two equals. She knows more about therapy, but I know more about me. And so it was very much of a mentorship relationship that we had. Yeah, which is and, and so And still have, I'd say. Yeah, so clearly a give and take. Absolutely a give and take. And, and the, the other thing that I stress in the book, you know, there's so much actual research on this. Belief matters. Hmm. Um, there's a book called The Power of Habit uh, that's a, that was a bestseller. And they talk about trying to change habits right. or, or trying to change anything. After you set the goal to change something, the next most important factor is to believe that you can. That you can actually do it. Yeah, you talk a fair bit about uh, uh, about having faith in yourself in, in uh, near near the end of the book for sure. For sure. Well, and in fact, the fact that Dr. Stevens, the fact that you wrote yeah. the book in the first first place to me is is an indication that you have a fair amount of faith in yourself. That, that there is hope, that, that we can change, that we can move forward. Absolutely. Yeah. But at that moment, when I'm sitting in a mental hospital mm. and I've been committed right. and I've tried to commit suicide for the third time, Leah had the faith in me. Right, right. She believed in me when I couldn't. The way that coaches sometimes have to believe right. in their athletes when they can't. <clears throat> when you find a teacher or a coach or a therapist who believes that you can do it, that is the gold. <laughs> what I one of the things I loved about about uh, the relationship that the two of you had is that you, you you talked a fair bit about safety, and and about that's when you really started to reveal who you were. That's when things really started to bubble to the surface. Because one of the things you talk about a great deal too is, you know, the memories that that you didn't even realize were you. The 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 the, the and I'm hoping you'll talk a little bit about DID and, and unpack that for us a bit more here now too. But, but, but it was in that space, it was in that safety, in that you know, as you say, mentor, mentorship almost. You were able to really reveal uh, and get to the bottom of it, if you will. Yeah, and and so yeah, we will, let's unpack that for yeah, for yeah, your, please for your listeners. Um, one of the important <clears throat> things to know about the way that I dealt with the abuse, and this happens a lot to children is that when I was being abused, I essentially repressed the memory of what was happening to me. Um, there's a mechanism in our psyche called dissociation, 
and it's a very big word that means a very simple thing. It simply means sort of going on a mental vacation. Mm. And I describe dissociation uh, so that people can understand it as highway hypnosis. When we're driving down the highway at night right. and we're lost in thought and suddenly we realize we're three miles past our exit. Right. Which is really quite frightening, really, <laughs> when you're driving two tons of metal. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but that is dissociation. It's a perfect example of how our mind is able to split our consciousness so that your body is doing one thing, driving along. Clearly, you haven't gotten into an accident. But your, the rest of your mind is somewhere else thinking something else. So when we are terrified or terrorized, we do the exact same thing. We split off our consciousness, and we do this so that we don't really have to be fully aware of what's happening to us. So when I was being raped and tortured, I would dissociate. And over time, because I did this over and over and over again, there was a part of my consciousness that didn't know that I was being abused, mm. while another part of my consciousness was constantly being abused. And in time, this became what people call multiple personalities. Um, so because I developed multiple personalities or dissociative identity disorder, I actually, while I was growing up, did not remember mm. any of the abuse that happened to me. I only remembered that later in life. So the the idea almost, I guess, is that your your mind splits you into these these other other people who who would have those memories, but presumably it's not all connected, or at least the the pain, the trauma, the abuse doesn't allow you to um, experience it in a in a kind of a what's the word I'm looking for a, a collaborative way or a comprehensive right, way. Right, it, it, it completely compartmentalizes right, right. it. Right. right. We all have a sense of being different in different environments. Right? Sure. Sometimes, you know, if you're with your kids, if you're at work, you're different. It's sort of that mechanism, but what, what's pronounced in dissociative identity disorder is the fact that the memories are absolutely walled off. Mm. So for many, many years, I did not know that I had been abused. Had you asked me at you know, 12 years old, are you being sexually abused, I would have said no. I meant it. I did not know. Right. Yeah, this was just a part of who you were. This was right. just a part of your world. Right. And so when I when I finally went into therapy, it took many, many years for me to regain those memories. And I really needed to feel safe, if that's what you were talking about, and trust someone mm -hmm. before I would let that happen. You, you talk about... Uh, um... It took you thirty years. You talk uh, to to realize the hmm, the the control that that mm -hmm. this experience uh, had had over you. And you actually talk about a story of uh, a Stalin um, and 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 the chicken. Mm -hmm. And it's it's really it, it's quite unsettling, really, in a sense. This this and I guess it relates to the the uh, the young the young man you were talking about earlier, who was in this abusive relationship, who's riding his bike and just. Isn't this, you know, isn't this what my world is now, right? Yeah. Why would anything be any different? Yeah. And so, so, so for presumably then for, for someone like that to be shocked out of that, you're, what you're arguing for is a, uh, a sense of trust, a sense of mentorship, a, a deep relationship, uh, intimacy almost that will allow you to, to hmm, flourish, to, to flourish is the wrong word. To, um, um, no, it to is, un, it to is un, first heal. Un, heal, then, yeah, right, flourish. right, good. Sure. Yeah, you know, it, and, 
And what happens in all of these situations, sometimes people call it Stockholm Syndrome. It's not Stockholm Syndrome. It's brainwashing. Mm. It, whether the abuser is aware of the techniques of brainwashing or not, sometimes sure. they just implicitly seem to know. Sure. But it's, it's very easy to, to brainwash someone. It's really not difficult. And by the way, many, many predators share tips on how to do it online. Wow. Okay. Uh, you can find this stuff very easily online. They talk to each other about it all the time. Basically, when a person is terrorized and held in captivity, very, very quickly they become brainwashed. And all that means is they, they basically – you can't live in this constant set, uh, state of terror. Right. It's just awful. We can't stand being afraid for two seconds. Imagine being locked up with a, a predator. Right. For days. For days. Yep. So when you are terrified, your mind basically tries to tell itself the story that this person who is terrorizing you is actually safe and good. Right. It's the only way that you can cope. And once your mind tells you that story, of course, it's completely false. Now you've been brainwashed. You're set to believe anything that person tells you. Right. You you talk about, and I'd love for you to, to, to chat a little bit more about this. You talk about being, you know, being grateful for the pain, being, being grateful today for, uh, if I can extend that for, for what you've been through, because this is the person you are today as a result of that. Can, can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. You know, it's, and and this takes a long time to get to. Oh man! Yeah. Um, I had 15 years of very active healing, uh, and and I'm you know I'm 48 now, so I've had a long time. But I'm on I'm so healed now, and so on the other side of all of this. Wow! It's it's yeah. it's remarkable to hear the 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 confidence, the 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 definition with which you say that. It really yeah. is remarkable and so hopeful. Yeah, and, and yeah, that's really, I'm trying to impart to people, is it possible to get here? That, and I have, I'm very spiritual. I don't want to say I'm religious, but I'm very spiritual. And so the way that I feel now is that I am grateful that this happened to me because even though it was incredibly difficult, it also forged who I am. Mm -hmm. It not only gave me my life's purpose, which is helping other people, and that brings me just the most joy imaginable is helping others. It taught me how to love very, mm, very deeply, mm. the healing process. And it gave me incredible empathy for other people's pain, which I'm able to tap into. So I, you know, for many, many years, like so many survivors of anything, I felt incredible rage, right. bitterness. I don't feel any of that anymore. Uh, I feel gratitude because I'm in Absolutely such a good place and not only in such a good place, but, but able to help others. And, and I, there's no way I'd be able to help others if I hadn't gone through what, what I went through. Cra crazy question. Um, yeah. um, is there a day that you can say today was the day I felt free? You know, you've, you've got the, the backpack on that is just too heavy and you, and you take it off, you get the sliver out of your hand, the, the, the thing stuck in your tooth and you feel that immediate sense of relief. Can you, yeah. can you, can you point to that or was it I, I true? Can. You can. Wow. Okay. Go. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, it was probably, you know, I was in my mid thirties Yeah. and I had just come out of a hospital, uh, because I 
my multiple personalities were acting in dangerous fashion. Uh, and I was sitting with Leah in her office. And I realized while sitting there, I had the epiphany of realizing that none of the abuse was my fault. Mm. One of the things, it's just a universal thing. People get abused, and for some reason they think it's their fault. And I really believed, you know, I, I was forced to do a lot of really heinous things, um, the prostitution, the pornography, very heinous stuff. And I held an incredible guilt about that, mm. and the guilt made me loathe myself. Well, and you talked about talk you talk about shame, too, a great deal. Oh, the shame and the self-loathing mm. that um, was awful. It was awful to live like that, to hate myself so much. And in this moment, sitting on my therapist's couch, I suddenly realized it was not my fault, that I was a victim, and I was not responsible for all of these awful things I had done, and all the weight came off of me. You you say right near the end of the book when I quote when I finally understood this my self loathing disappeared for the first time ever I felt love for myself close quote yes yes and it and and that's extraordinary and it is it is extraordinary Doctor Stevens because I would argue so many of us whatever our trauma is whatever our experience whether it's um, it's relational breakdown, divorce, death. I mean, these are all very traumatic events for people. Uh, and I'm not trying to, to, to equate them because you can't, but I would, I would suggest, and I don't know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but aren't a lot of us kind of walking around within, within those circles of shame and self-loathing and, and unable to break out of that? It's, it, and you're absolutely right. Yes. And it, it's, it's an extraordinary thing that we do to ourselves. You know, when the recent thing happened uh, with Donald Trump, where all of the women started coming out and yes. saying that he had, you know, in whatever way assaulted them, what I noticed in all of those stories was every single woman blamed herself. Right. You're standing on a corner. <laughs> a guy walks up to you and grabs your genitals smirks and walks away. Yeah, how can that ever be your fault? And yet that woman said, well, I never told anybody because I thought I must have done something. Mm. <laughs> imagine, imagine that. That is, uh, and I'm not quite sure why we do that. I'm not sure if it's inherent or if we learn it. I'm not quite sure. But so many of us walk around crippled with shame. And, and, it, and it is crippling over over time and so to be able to heal that shame and really under i think that the reason that we walk around with that shame i i i just have an epiphany to to realize that you're simply a victim or that something wasn't your fault you also have to accept that in that moment you were helpless mm. and that's very very hard to do it's very hard to just accept that there are moments when we're either helpless because that's scary or there are moments when we just were human and made a mistake. Um, it's just hard to accept that. I suppose in some way our culture, uh, the way we're raised in a lot of cases, schoolyards, when we're bullied, these kinds of things, I guess, you know, when, well, any kind of vulnerability sort of implies weakness, right? When yes. in fact it actually implies quite the opposite. Yes. 
Exactly. And I think that in our quest to not feel vulnerable, uh, we would rather we would rather beat ourselves up right. than simply acknowledge that we were vulnerable. It's yeah. so, so deeply ironic and troubling, isn't it? I mean, when you think about the the, the, the level to, I mean, I'm a, I'm, we're fairly young parents, Elizabeth and I, we have a nine and 11 year old and we're going through a lot of this stuff and it's, <laughs> and it's only going to get worse from what I hear. Yes, I have a 12 year old, yes. <laughs> oh, there you go. So we should share some stories. Um, but, but I, I, uh, uh, I, I just, I continue to come back to, and I get shivers when I think about it, you know, how hopeful your story, uh, you know, ultimately is. It's really quite remarkable. You talk about, um, <clears throat> you talk about crises, um, uh, inviting change. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. and, and I really love that. There's something, you know, there's something really, um, uh, real and authentic about that. And yet, <laughs> why would anyone invite a crisis or is it, you're, you're not really asking for the crisis, uh, but, but uh, it's really about the choices you make after, I guess. Yeah. You know, and, and when you take the long view and, and you look at your life, you will often see that things that at the time seemed like a terrible crisis, losing a job, having a breakup, um, something like that, forced you to make other choices that in the end you can look back and go, oh, my God, that was the greatest thing that ever mm. happened to me. Mm. Uh, we all have those stories. Crisis, any, uh, you know, this is when you're a therapist, as I am, people don't walk into your office and say, uh, I've been going along the same way for 10 years, and I just thought I'd come in and spend a couple hundred dollars an hour to talk about that. That's not when people come into therapy. People always come into therapy at a moment of crisis. Mm. They've been doing the same patterns over and over again, but something happens. They get into a big fight with their husband or you know, their kid who they've been in denial that the kid is an addict overdoses. And if you can use that moment when, when you can't just skate along in your denial, you, you can use that to change. But most of the time, you know, that's a lot of work, and it's very mm, scary mm-hmm. to, face, to face things and not be in denial about things, problems in your life. Um, so most people don't want to do that unless there's a really pressing reason. Do you think, do you think in a way that one of the arguments for your story, for your book, for, 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 for making it through, uh, is, is that we want to come on on the other side of this and say, we need to surround ourselves. And I guess I'm kind of coming back full circle to a question or something we talked about, this idea of community, this idea of having, uh, those mentors in your life, you know, having those Leah's in your life, somebody that you trust that, that, that can help you, uh, as you walk through something like that. Um, because it, you know, because I, I mean, here's the guy on this side here, uh, the interviewer going, okay, I, w- I want a solution to this stuff, Dr. Steven. Like, what's, what's, how, how do we make this work for others, you know? And, and as you said, so wisely, everyone's story is different and, and, and one therapist is not going to be good for another. And I mean, is, is there kind of an overarching lesson here? Is, I mean, is it love? Is, is it that we've, is it, it that is. we've got to listen to one another here is, better? Here is the overarching lesson to everything in my humble opinion. <laughs> Love, kindness, generosity. Mm. Um, it, it all boils down to that. And, you know, and, and I don't want to overemphasize therapy because in my yeah. book, I talk about many people who got me through. Right, in, right. In the story of every single person's life, 
you can list the few people who got you through. Mm. You know, mm. you may have had a horrible childhood, but you can always remember that one teacher right. who believed in you and encouraged you, or that one boss, or that one girlfriend or boyfriend, you know, and, and that's what ultimately my book is about. Yes, these horrible, horrible things happened to me, but along the way, a few people showing me love and kindness and generosity kept me going and got me through. Can you tell me, uh, we're going to, we're going to have to wrap it up soon. I can't believe we're getting coming to the end of this interview and, and I hope you'll do a part two with me down the road. But, but uh, can you tell me about a letter that Leah wrote and, and why it was so important for you? Why this was like a tipping point, why it just said this, this, this woman is for me. Yeah. So I had been seeing her for about four years just to get, you know, people say I tried therapy first. No, I've been seeing this woman every week for four years. And she was lovely. I didn't trust her because I didn't trust anybody. And I was trying to get a job as a teacher. And I was, it was a long process, and I was near the end of it when I had done the medical examination, and my doctor put on the medical form that I took psychotropic meds, that I took antidepressants, mm-hmm. which a huge percentage of people take. But it got flagged, and I was uh, – they thought that maybe because I took antidepressants, I wasn't going to be qualified to be a teacher. Right. So they asked for all of the notes from my therapist. And I was so upset because obviously my therapist notes were going to say everything about the abuse I had suffered, about all of my times in mental hospitals. And I felt like I was absolutely doomed, that my past was going to doom every attempt for me to build a future. And Leah, my therapist at the time, just said, no, I won't give them my note. She said, it's absolutely not okay for them to ask. And what she did, and it's a simple thing, but people don't do this for each other enough. Mm. She simply wrote the school a note, and the note said, I am her therapist. I will not give you her notes, but I will tell you that she will make a great teacher. You don't need to worry. And that was enough for them. And it was a simple thing, but it was just a moment of generosity and kindness mm. that that let me know that I could really trust her to protect me. Well, I think what's so interesting, and the way I was introduced to your work was through a letter that you wrote to The Hollywood Reporter. Ah, yes. About the film Split, and that's where yes. I, and, 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 and really what you were doing there, which is really essentially what was Leo, Leo was doing for you, as well was was fighting against stereotypes. Yes, fighting against stereotypes and stigma, stigma, and stigma. around mental illness. Um, ha, you know, I, I could have so easily, and I have been by other professionals, put into the box called "you are mentally ill." You know, dissociative identity disorder or multiple personalities is a very serious condition. Uh, by many, it is considered the most serious psychiatric condition. Hmm. So. It's, if you want to be judgmental, you can simply say that, I, you know, I'm not going to amount to anything. Right. And I needed someone like Aaliyah to say, that's BS. Of course you can amount to anything you want to be. And, and then I did. <laughs> right. <laughs> I would say you were, you were an overachiever in that area. <laughs> 
But imagine, imagine if I hadn't had a few people come mm. along to tell me I could. Right. We all need, and this is your what you're talking about with community. We all need other people to believe in us and to show us some kindness and some love. And we really, we flourish when we get that. So, so, so as we sort of kind of wrap up here, I'm going to read another quote, if you don't mind, from, from your book, um, near, near the end. Um, and I think it might be in a chapter entitled, uh, all, all you need is love. I think, yeah, all you need is love. Uh, quote, Leah, Leah wasn't like that. She wasn't into diagnoses or labeling or judgment of any kind. When I walked into her office, I got the feeling she saw me, not my history of mental illness. It was refreshing to be truly seen for the first time, close quote. And, you know, Dr. Stevens, isn't that in a way kind of what we're all hoping for? Aren't we all asking for that from our husbands and our wives and our kids and our teachers and our mentors? And the list goes yes. on. Seems and to me anyway. That really, really hit me between the yes. eyes. That, that And if that's what you, this, this is what I tell every client I ever see. If that's what you are hoping, and we all are, do it for others. If you are hoping that people will treat you more kindly or treat you with more respect, start treating everybody you meet more kindly and with more respect and see what happens. Well, I love your notion about, you know, the answer. I think we should, I think there's a bumper sticker campaign here. The answer to everything <laughs> is love, kindness, and generosity. Oh man, I am, I am, I feel so blessed to have had the time to chat with you today. Your website is Michelle Stevens phd.com folks just for those of you who are interested that's michelle with two l's stevens with a v phd.com the book is called scared selfless ariana huffington has said it's a remarkable journey quote it's a guide for anybody seeking to overcome challenges and lead a richer and fuller life close quote and i i think i would have to agree uh dr stevens what a pleasure thank you so much for your time today i i really appreciate you being being a guest with us on the show thank you so much Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.